the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Franz. Alrighty then, good morning to you. What do you say we get after it? It's 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Wednesday, the second morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Today is significant for a couple of reasons. Today might very well be the first day we cease as a free democratic republic, a constitutional republic, and uh, have devolved into a full-fledged banana republic. It's getting very, very difficult to deny that any longer, that reality. Every single day, it seems, or at least on a regular basis each week, even if we get a reprieve for a day or two, but very, very regularly now we get a reminder that we are losing what was gifted to us by our founding fathers. When we can no longer govern ourselves because we no longer have the right to choose our government leaders because some government leaders attempt to lock up their political opponents, that is third world stuff. That is dictatorial type of stuff. We are talking about totalitarian regimes 
strengthening their forever hold on power by making sure anyone who might have enough support of the people to rise up and remove them and replace them get locked up and to have their voices silenced. That's that's what we are witnessing right now. Appreciate you joining us this morning. Obviously, we are speaking of, um, well, what has become a pattern. Let's just call that what it is. This is the third consecutive time now that there has been devastating news about the corrupt Biden first family of crime that they have chosen to erase that from the headlines. They being the Biden administration, working through the Department of Justice, and the special prosecutor or special counsel assigned to investigate Donald Trump and to destroy him, Jack Smith. For the third straight time, there was bad news for the Biden first family of crime, and they erased it from the headlines by doing something to indict Donald Trump. Get the story of corruption and bribery and influence peddling and some of the most egregious crimes ever committed out of the Oval Office during Joe Biden's time as vice president and now continuing up through his presidency. Get that stuff out of your minds. Bribery from Ukraine and China and Romania and Kazakhstan and Russia involving the president? Forget about all of that. Focus on, hey, we just indicted Trump again. Well, Joe Biden now gets to play in the surf at Rehoboth Beach without a care in the world. On March 17th, Hunter Biden admitted that the laptop from hell, otherwise known as the Biden family laptop o crimes, he admitted it was his. On March 17th, now all of that phony reporting, all of that, all of the lies, all of the devastating censorship of media, the forging, essentially, of a document that says that laptop is filled with Russian disinformation and getting 51 former intelligence operatives to sign it in order to make sure that nobody considered it before they voted in November of 2020. Finally, Hunter Biden on March 17th admitted it was his. All of that now is in play. March 18th, they send a letter to Trump saying you're being indicted. Guess what got the news? Guess what got wiped off of the news? June 8th, FBI documents claiming that Joe Biden received $5 million. Hunter Biden received $5 million. All of it outlined in an FBI-sourced FD-1023 form alleging that they received bribes from the energy oligarchs at Burisma blew the doors off of the entire investigation. That was June 8th. What happened June 9th? They go in and indict Donald Trump on documents at Mar-a-Lago. Guess which one got the news? Now, July 31st, best friend 
longtime business associate, and quite frankly, co-conspirator in corrupt activities with Hunter Biden, selling access to the White House by way of his last name and that of his father. Devin Archer testifies that everything Joe Biden has said about this, about his involvement in this, or his lack of involvement in this, is a lie. Devin Archer reveals that Trump was either at or on the phone with Hunter Biden's foreign business associates and partners at least two dozen times. At least prompting Democrats to scramble and say, yeah, but they only talked about the weather 20 different times. That was July 31st. Yesterday was August 1st. Donald Trump indicted on four of the most ridiculous, bogus charges related to January 6th that you can even imagine. This is the pattern. How do we protect the first family of crime? The answer is, point the finger every single time at Donald Trump. You want to make Joe Biden look good? Indict Trump for something else. You want to explain away the first family of crimes, bribes that they received, and the allegations from the Burisma uh, uh, energy executives? Indict Donald Trump for something. You want to cover for the laptop? Indict Donald Trump for something. You want to erase Devin Archer's testimony from the consciousness of America? Indict Donald Trump for something. And you know full well they're going to wait until more salacious information is uncovered on the first family of crime before they uh, announce the new indictment of Donald Trump in Georgia. Joe Biden was on the phone with not just one, nor two, nor three um, different Burisma. And, well, so let's go to the countries, actually, because we don't know the names of the companies in all of the countries. But with Ukrainian, Chinese, Romanian, Kazakhstani, and Russian business associates, not just one time, but 20 different times, Hunter had pops on the phone or in person at dinners, and Joe Biden lied about it. And nobody's talking about it, because now Donald Trump has been indicted, and they're trying to lock him up for the rest of his life. That's not an overstatement. That's the reality of it. Which begs some serious questions, and it begs some examination that we have to do here. And that examination has to include whether or not President Trump's ongoing participation in and domination of the Republican primaries is what's going to allow Joe Biden to escape. Did anyone see Top Gun Maverick? I'm sure he did. It was extraordinarily successful, and it was also phenomenal. It came out last year. Top Gun Maverick was, of course, the the follow-up, the sequel, 30 years after 1986's Top Gun. Um, there's a part of the movie where Tom Cruise, who's instructing the the best of the best Top Gun pilots to do this secret mission that they had to do, and I won't get into the plot of the story. It's irrelevant to the point. The point is um, they have to find a way to be able to battle in the air, these fighter pilots, these Navy naval aviators. 
they had to be able to fight offensively and defensively at the same time. So Tom Cruise, his character Maverick, uh, has them on the beach playing uh, touch football with each other with two balls where you were simultaneously trying to score and defend and stop the others from scoring at the same time. Offensive and defensive game at the exact same time. Why am I bringing that up? Because this is what the Republicans have to do now. And it's not easy at all. Conservative Republicans now have to find a way to be on the offensive and expose Joe Biden. I'm talking about conservative Republicans primarily in the Congress. Not just specifically you and me, members of the media, but congressional leaders. They have to find a way to stay on the offensive against Joe Biden, exposing all of the corruption of the first family of crime, while somehow taking their attention away from that and playing defense of Donald Trump. And it's going to be very, very tricky, and it's going to be very, very difficult. It's hard to be on offense and defense at the same time. If you saw the movie, you understand what I'm talking about. You wish you could just focus all of your attention on offense and going after the most corrupt man to ever run the Oval Office and, of course, to be number two in the Oval Office as uh, as Barack Obama's vice president. But he's the most corrupt man, really, in the history of the Oval Office. It should be all of the efforts of Republicans who know what has happened here, the corruption, the influence peddling, the bribery, and so forth, things that no president has ever even been accused of, much less actually uh, you know, where, uh, had evidence presented against him for that. The Republican mission should be to investigate fully the corrupt activities or the alleged corrupt activities of Joe Biden, and instead they are going to have to devote considerable time, energy, research, and resources now to defending Donald Trump against the most politicized persecution and prosecution in the history of the country. How can they do both? That's what they're going to have to do for this whole thing to work. And so the question has to be asked, is it in the best interest of all of us, as we try to wrest power from the first family of crime and from the Democrats in the federal government, they still control the Senate, is it in our best interest as we try to regain control to have to do offense and defense at the same time? Now, what I'm suggesting, of course, is not that we allow the left and the corrupt first family of crime, the corrupt Department of Justice run by the most corrupt AG in history, Merrick Garland, and that's saying something since we experienced Eric Holder. I'm not suggesting we let Jack Smith or any of them win. But President Trump's going to have to do some thinking here. And some soul-searching. How can we keep the pressure on Joe Biden and the first family of crime and all of his corruption and bribery and so forth while spending all of this time and money and effort and attention um, putting on two, three, and there will soon be four different defenses um, of indictments brought forth against him? 
they have us in a very, very peculiar and difficult place, don't they? They really do. Now, amidst all of this is the fact that every time they do something as radical, extreme, unconstitutional, uh, banana republic-like, and every time they do this stuff and throw more ridiculous, scurrilous charges and indictments against Donald Trump, he surges to an even higher level in the polls than he's already at, almost guaranteeing that there is no way for Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, Nikki, it doesn't matter, to ever catch up with him. And it's almost like, you know, cancel the whole doggone thing. It's going to be Donald Trump. There is no way that anybody is going to catch him when every time they come after him with another political persecution, it rallies all of us to his defense. I sat here and watched Jack Smith yesterday and got livid. And, and damn near pulled out my phone and made a donation to the defense fund of Donald Trump. Because you can't do this. Because if you can do this, and if you can do it to the number one candidate on the other side that is trying to wrest that power away from the first family of crime, then they can do it to anybody. So we're sitting here, and I'm in the defensive mode. I want to defend Donald Trump. I want to see Donald Trump take this indictment and stick it directly up Jack Smith's knows and i want to i want to see them scream to the heavens when he wins again but i also know that this might be exactly what they're counting on because they know in their hearts that if he is the nominee he can't win that middle America, that moderate America, that centrist America, that independent America, that undecided America, those voters will not vote for somebody under four different indictments, potentially being convicted in any one of them, which would put him in jail. And you can't have a president of the United States or a president-elect if some of these things come down after November of 2024. You can't have him being your president. You can't have him in jail. So we have a very, very complex onion here, and it seems like every time we peel back one layer of it and say, okay, now we get a handle on how we should act, we find out, oh, wait a minute, that's a game changer. And then we peel another one back, and we say, okay, now we've got this figured out. And it, we have to be on offense. We have to be on defense. We have to support and defend Donald Trump. I think it's incumbent upon us from a morality perspective to defend Donald Trump against what is a complete political persecution. It, from a morality perspective, I think we have to do that. We would do that and are doing that for January 6th defendants, the ones who are uh, who are innocent and who are political prisoners. We have to. And we should. But while we're defending him against this nonsense, we have to recognize is our defense of him against this, this insane persecution, is it going to cost us the war on the other end in the bigger picture? Offense and defense at the same time is hard to play. So it becomes a question for all of us. How do we handle it? What are we going to do? We cannot allow them to win. We can't allow not allow them to be successful. We also cannot allow them to determine how our party chooses its nominee. We cannot allow them to either propel Donald Trump 
or to destroy Donald Trump, we have to be allowed to conduct our own elections. In other words, we have to be allowed to be Americans. We have to be allowed to engage in the political process as it has always been, free of this sort of election interference, the likes of which no one has ever seen before. No one on the right, no one on the left. No one has ever seen this before. And we have to navigate those waters somehow. How do we choose our own nominee without their interference? How do we make sure that a man under political persecution, unlike ever before, gets a fair shake? And how do we also make sure that his opponents in the primary get a fair shake? And as they're trying to do what they think is best for the country. This is uncharted territory, my friends. These are waters we have never been in before. We're going to talk about this coming up um, in about an hour. Uh, we're going to talk at 1035 with Josh Hammer from Newsweek. Um, we're going to talk about it with you. We've got a few other things in the works, too. 216 We have a lot of reactions to share with you, and as I say, more reactions to get from you as well. Uh, before we hit our bottom-of-the-hour break, let's do our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, stand and face your flag. Our unwavering faith in this nation's foundation um, is what is going to get us through this. So let's uh, express that faith. Let's pledge our allegiance. If you are on the side of Jack Smith, Merrick Garland, Joe Biden, and the first family of crime, well, that flag means nothing to you anyway. You're probably lighting it rather than saluting it. Uh, You can take a knee instead. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty, and justice for all. Okay, 929, time out. We'll come back. Let's talk about this together on Always Right Radio. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 9.37. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. Um, Phone lines are open at 216-901-0945. We've got to find a way to balance all of this uh, extraordinarily important national news regarding the presidency, the banana republic, the political persecution, the election interference, the attacks on Donald Trump, uh, and the, of course, ignoring of the first family of crime that the media has now been able to do because of this new indictment. And we have to uh, find a way to uh, talk about that, as well as keeping you up to date on where we stand on this Wednesday, now less than one week from the two-minute warning, otherwise known as August 8th, the special election day on issue one. And if you uh, have not been with me, then you're missing out. Uh, And I don't mean to say that uh, in an arrogant way. I just mean to say um, uh, I've been talking about this for some time, and I hope you got it. I hope you have been here getting it. If you haven't, though, don't wait until the two-minute warning. That's what I call Election Day. We've had four full quarters of activity in order to get our votes in. And that means first week, second week, third week, fourth week of early voting. You've got to vote in one of those quarters rather than waiting until the very last second to try to win the game in the two-minute warning on August 8th. But regardless of when you vote, it is exceedingly important that you vote yes on issue eight to uh, issue one rather on August 8th to protect our Constitution. 
I've spent a great deal of time on this program, and I've talked to virtually every state leader other than Mike DeWine about this, and he even, and I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of Mike DeWine, but he is even uh, in support of Issue 1. We have to protect our Constitution. It is just that simple. Uh, if it is allowed to be sliced and diced by wealthy out-of-state special interests or even in-state special interests because they cannot win at the at the uh, legislative level, they cannot win uh, at the statewide electoral level if they want to turn what is a representative republic into a direct democracy and then just literally treat the Constitution as if it were the Ohio Revised Code, they will do so unless we stop them. The only way for us to stop them is to change the threshold from 50% to 60%, and that's what we have to do, yes, on issue one. I want to uh, give a quick uh, update here before I get back into the president's situation, current and former president's situation. Um, I got a note from Lisa Sticken, the chair of the Republican Party of, uh, of Cuyahoga County today, uh, thanking me for the great rally that we held the other day. It was certainly my pleasure to be a part of that in Brecksville, but also to say a final signed shipment is coming in today. They have already gone through five shipments. The, the, the optimism and the passion um, for passing issue one is so, so much higher than anybody on the no on issue one side ever wants to admit. They do not want to think this is popular. They think that they are going to run away with this election. They think that what we are trying to do in protecting the Constitution is so undemocratic. They don't think we have a chance. They are in for a rude but awakening because it is so much more uh, supported than they realize. Five shipments have come and gone already. This is just from Cuyahoga County. This is just from the RPCC. This has nothing to do with uh, all of the other counties, and I know what they are doing as well. There is such an appetite for yes on issue one. So there is a new shipment that has just come in. They've gone through five. If you want to pick them up and show your support for issue one to let everybody know that yes on issue one is the way to go, make them know that they are in the majority, uh, let people know if they're undecided which way they should go, pick up your sign today from 2 o'clock to 8 o'clock, a six-hour window, pick them up at the uh, RPCC office uh, on uh, Rockside Woods Boulevard in Independence. Between 2 and 6 today, uh, the Republican Party of Cuyahoga County office uh, will have those available, so please make sure you pick those up. We'll talk more about issue one as the morning goes on. But as I said, you know, here, here's one of the real frustrating things as I detailed in my monologue. <clears throat> what they've done now, this is the third consecutive time they have found a way to take Joe Biden and his myriad of crimes off of the, uh, off of the newspaper, the front page. Uh, and I don't even mean that literally. Nobody really reads the newspapers much anymore anyway. But uh, in terms of our minds, take them, uh, t- taking those things out of the top of mind and uh, pushed it to the back. This would be one of the top stories that I shared with you, a wonderful compilation of what we know about the Biden crime family from Molly Hemingway in uh, The uh, uh, the Federalist. Evidence of Biden Burisma corruption is overwhelming, and I would be detailing all of this for you this morning. They don't want me to, which is they don't want anybody to talk about those things. That's why they sent out Jack Smith to give a hasty, an embarrassing statement announcing an indictment of Trump on January 6th. So no one is talking Burisma. No one is talking Ukraine, China, Kazakhstan, uh, Russia, or Romania. Nobody is talking about Hunter Biden and the bribes. Nobody is talking about uh, you know the, the, the first family of crime. They're all focused on Trump now. So they got it. This is what they wanted, and they're getting it, because I do have to respond to these things. We all do. And we have to figure out how we handle it. How do we support President Trump? 
uh, who is being targeted, just like any of us could be targeted, but also support the process of, of letting us choose our own nominee in this electoral process, not letting them commit this election interference and hamstringing us and putting people, both voters and fellow uh, candidates, you know, talking about other primary opponents of Donald Trump's, putting them in pigeon, pigeonholing them into a, in a way where they have to say, I stand with Donald Trump, thereby undercutting their own candidacies, or risk being called sellouts, turncoats, traitors, uh, Democrats, you know, by saying I, how, disloyal, you know, uh, <laughs> by, by not standing with Donald Trump. How dare you? Mike Pence came out swinging. Uh, Tim Scott was very, very careful with his words, not specifically saying, I defend Donald Trump, but saying, I am condemning the uh, one-sided, or excuse me, the two-sided uh, uh, system of justice, the, the two-tiered system of justice. Ron DeSantis said the same thing. Uh, when I become president, I'm going to clean house in that corrupt agency because of what they're doing. Without specifically defending Trump, it's a very, very tough line to walk. These people all have to be able to say, look, I don't support what they're doing to Donald Trump, but Donald, I can't say that I support Donald Trump fully because I'm trying to beat him. And it's a very tough. And then if you say those things, again, you get called disloyal, traitors, and so forth uh, by, by uh, Trump supporters. And I think we just need to find a way to say it. We are all Trump supporters in what they are trying to do to him. And many of us just want to see him win just to stick it up their noses. But the reality is that has to be up to us. And we should not allow uh, anybody to see or perceive or portray other people who are running against Donald Trump in this thing as being disloyal for saying, look, he's got his own problems with the Department of Justice and the special counsel, and it's crap, but I've got my own issues to worry about here, which is running for president. It's very, very difficult. So we have to try to break this down as much as we can. This is what uh, the embarrassing, embarrassingly inept special counsel, who, by the way, note, note this, it's important. Jack Smith is just special counsel, not independent counsel. What's the difference? If he were appointed as an independent counsel to investigate Donald Trump for these myriad of alleged crimes, then he would be not, uh, not able to be touched by the Department of Justice. Independent means he makes all the calls and the decisions. Special counsel means he answers to Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is the corrupt protector of the first family of crime, the AG. So if Jack Smith has to answer to Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland has to answer to whom? Joe Biden. And whomever is running Joe Biden and dragging his weekend at Bernie's corpse all over the country. That's reality. So Jack Smith is not an independent counsel here. He is working specifically for the Bidens, which is what makes this so egregious. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia. In the District of Columbia, which is 99% leftist Democrat. And it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. 
The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not. Including the ones that <clears throat> held the doors open for people to go inside? Including the ones that pulled the ropes back to allow them to go in and told them to have a nice time and just don't break anything? Just curious. Not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives on the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. You hear the, you hear the shakiness in his voice, by the way, when he did this yesterday? He's scared out of his mind. He is a, an inept failure of a prosecutor whose previous investigations and indictments were tossed out unanimously by the Supreme Court, and he has been drafted here and pulled from The Hague to come here and go after Donald Trump, chosen by Merrick Garland to come after Donald Trump, and he is scared out of his mind. You listen to how scared he sounds. Since the attack on our capital, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Also absolutely corrupted by Christopher Ray, by Merrick Garland. This is the same exact who. So, so let's move on. That was very, very scared and I think a little bit of pants wetting um, Jack Smith, special counsel who answers to Merrick Garland. Andrew McCarthy is a former federal prosecutor. Andy McCarthy went on Fox and described the presentation uh, given by Jack Smith yesterday. But I heard, Brett, this way. Well, just to start with what I heard, Brett, that was one of the most demagogic presentations I've ever seen in a high-profile criminal case. He, he, anyone who listened to that, any normal person reacting to that, would assume that Trump was alleged to have carried out the Capitol riot. The entire presentation that he made was not about what the core charges in his case are. It was about the Capitol riot and the security personnel who were injured in the Capitol riot and who had to fight to defend the Capitol riot. And then you turn to his indictment. He's not charged with the Capitol riot. So if that is what he has to resort to in order to sell his case to the public, I think that's very telling in terms of, what, of, of how compelling his case is. There's a reason he sounded scared and sounded like a pants wetter. Because what Andy McCarthy just said is true. 
he couldn't take that podium yesterday and announce that we're, we're indicting Donald Trump for using his First Amendment rights to free speech because he would have been laughed off of the podium. So he had to make it sound like this was something much, much more egregious that Donald Trump was responsible for. You know, we had police officers who had to fight them and defend themselves, and many who got injured, as Andy McCarthy said, as if Donald Trump did that or was responsible for that. And it has nothing to do with that at, the, at its core. It's a free speech indictment. A little bit more from Andy McCarthy. I think, unfortunately, Brett, this is as weak as it was foretold to be. Uh, you see a lot of deceitful conduct, but the problem I think Jack Smith has is that Congress has not enacted statutes that di- that directly criminalize the the behavior that Smith is talking about. So what he has to do is distort statutes in order to try to pigeonhole the behavior into them. So, for example, the Supreme Court was very clear in May in two cases where they threw out convictions against uh, cronies of former Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, uh, that fraud in the United States means to bilk a victim out of money or property, you know, tangible assets, and that to the extent that, uh, you know, Congress has tried to expand that into this idea of, um, uh, you know, fraud that creates uh, deceptive government practices, uh, the statutes that are on the books now are vague, and otherwise Congress hasn't criminalized that. So I think what you have is the case comes down to can he prove that Trump believed the things that he, that he was saying, notwithstanding all the evidence to the contrary. But even if he could get over that hurdle, which I think is, is daunting, I do think that you have the problem that he has extravagantly stretch these statutes in order to try to capture this behavior and that's because this is really a proxy for what should have been a political impeachment process they're leaving to the criminal justice system the failure of congress to carry out a successful impeachment that is so huge and i hope it resonates they tried to make him ineligible to run for president again by impeaching him even after he was out of office they tried and failed and so now, since they couldn't do it via the impeachment process, they're doing it through the criminal justice system. And as Andy McCarthy just said, quite literally, they had to stretch the statutes to try to create a crime where one does not exist. Because what really happened is that he he uh, uh, availed himself of his First Amendment rights. You can't prove intent to lie or deceive if he truly believed that he was robbed. Because he probably went to bed on election night 2020 knowing that he was reelected and woke up and they said, what? They found 500,000 more votes for Biden in all of the key states? And now the key states I needed to win the electoral vote uh, are, are, are going to Biden? You know, uh, Of course he believes he was robbed. And he has a right to be able to say that. We all do. on the first um, Under the First Amendment to the Constitution, which is something... That uh, Jonathan Turley, again, this is a left-wing liberal Democrat law professor and legal analyst who says this. The most jarring thing about this indictment is that it basically just accuses him of disinformation. This is a disinformation indictment. Uh, it, It says that you were spreading falsehoods, that you were undermining the integrity of the election. That's all part of the First Amendment, and I think that courts will look skeptically. He, he might have a fair shot with a D.C. jury and maybe a D.C. judge. He's going to have a harder time 
uh, with the courts. And this reminds me of sort of the McDowell uh, complaint, where he took the Virginia governor, got a conviction, and then was unanimously uh, overturned by the Supreme Court. It, it is a bridge too far. And one of the things I was looking for is I assumed that Smith had this type of aha moment, that there's something in there that the January 6th committee didn't find, uh, that you know supported, we heard about witness tampering. It's not in there. I mean, everything in this indictment is basically what has been discussed in the news. Now, by the way, the other thing that is not in here is conspiracy for incitement. Not in here is a seditious conspiracy. Uh, those were the claims that Democrats used in the impeachment and said that the evidence was absolutely clear. People like Schiff and others said that uh, he's clearly guilty of those crimes. Well, they're not in here. Uh, instead, he's using the favorite of prosecutors, these type of conspiracy and obstruction claims. Uh, but I think there are some serious legal problems with this indictment. So, again, you've got left-wing Democrats like Jonathan Turley and Alan Dershowitz and others looking at this and calling it what it is, an absolute continuation of the witch hunt and an absolute textbook example of election interference they cannot get him on any of the things they alleged that he did during the impeachment so they're literally criminalizing his speech saying his lying as they termed it about about uh, winning the actual election is what led to the obstruction of an official proceeding and of course here we sit what's the real reason because what i've done for the first hour is not talk about the first family of crime have i they got Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's corruption out of the news cycle as it's all focused on Donald Trump. That's why this was done yesterday. It's 956. We'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Appreciate you being with us on this Wednesday morning. It's the second morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. We are less than a week away from protecting the Ohio Constitution by strengthening it. This blows me away. I I, I tweeted... uh, I tweeted this earlier this morning before the show as I was kind of prepping for everything, and occasionally I'll check through the Twitter hits and see what kind of lunacy I'm hearing from uh, uh, from the radical left on a variety of things. <clears throat> and uh, one of uh, somebody somebody tweet somebody tweeted uh, in response to one of my comments: um, "Let's protect the Ohio Constitution. Vote no on issue one." And it just kind of dawned on me: it's like, well, wait a minute, which is it? Which one do you want to do here? Do you want to protect the Constitution, or do you want to vote yes on issue one? Because you can't do both. Because if you vote no on issue one, you're going to allow the Constitution to be changed again and again and again and again with radical radical extremists who are well-funded, who can buy uh, you know, uh, enough uh, influence to get petition, uh, signatures in just 44, half. They can cherry-pick 44 of our counties instead of making it... Uh, 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 necessary to engage all of our counties with their ideas uh they can change it with a simple half of the population 50 percent wanting something to be in our constitution not even in the ohio revised so which is it what do you want 
Did you want to change or the protect the Constitution, or did you want to vote no? You can't do both. If you want to protect the Constitution, you, you kind of got to vote yes. So it just got me going again, and I, and I just want to remind everybody, this is, yes, we know that there's a difference between federal and state's uh, policies and rights, but the reality is it takes 75% of the states and 66.6% of the House and the Senate to change the U.S. Constitution. That's because constitutions are foundational bedrock documents that are meant to be difficult to change. That's, the, that's their nature. They're, they're etched in stone. To amend the foundational document should require a very super strong agreement among the population. That's why 75%, three-quarters of the states would have to do that. And then Congress has to do it to, to a two-thirds supermajority. It's supposed to be that way. Ohio Democrats say 50% is enough. <laughs> 50%, half the counties and half the people. It's, think about the insanity of that. Let's tell them they're wrong. You want to revise an, uh, an Ohio law? You don't like the heartbeat law? Use the legislative process. Don't try to change the entire Constitution so that you can, with half of the support of the voters, change the Constitution and embed radical abortion into the, into the Constitution and stripping parents' rights away in November. With, without super strong majority of support. We're not even talking about super strong. Bernie Moreno talked about that at the um, Issue 1 rally that I attended and, uh, and spoke at on, uh, on uh, Monday in Brexville. Bernie pointed out, you know, this isn't even a super, we're not even talking about a super majority here. 60% is just, it's, it's like so nothing. 66.6% is considered a super majority. We're just talking about a simple majority. 50% to me is not a majority. 50% plus one vote is not a majority. That's half the country, or half the state. I don't care if you do get the plus one. One human being doesn't get to decide something that half the people say yay, half the people say nay on. Particularly when you're talking about not a, a law, when we're talking about the Constitution and an amendment. 60% is a very reasonable majority. And so they think 50% is enough to change the foundational document of the state. Tell them they're wrong. Tell them we're not going to let them... Uh, use wealthy special interest groups to just, you know, make a make a hodgepodge mess of the Ohio Constitution. Because unlike the Ohio Revised Code, you know, when the Ohio Revised Code, you get a law you don't like, you can have it repealed. You get a law you don't like all of, you can get amended. You want a new law added in, you can get that done too through the representative republic process, the legislative process that we have. Tell our representatives what we want to have done. You can do those kinds of things. If it goes into the Constitution, however, it's there forever, unless another amendment is written to remove it, which, of course, is, is you know, next to impossible. So the reality of the situation is, if you want to protect the Constitution in the state of Ohio, and you don't want to have radical extremist groups writing all kinds of insane things and jamming it in there, then you vote yes uh, next Tuesday. And like I said, don't wait until next Tuesday. Vote today. I had a lot of people tell me they went and voted early because of what I said and we said, not only on the radio, but that at, at that event. Frank LaRose spoke. Bernie Marino spoke. Uh, uh, Jim Trake has spoke. Even uh, um, 
even Jane Timken was there, and she spoke. Uh, and we are all on the same side of this one, protecting Ohio's Constitution. So you've got, obviously, uh, just a few days left to do your early voting. Take advantage of it. Please bank the votes. Bank the votes. Don't wait and, and, and give that promissory note that I, I know I'll have time on Tuesday. I'll make it there. Don't worry. You can count on me. And then something happens and you can't make it there. Just get your vote in the bank now so we don't have to worry about it anymore. That's, that's what I think needs to be done here. All right. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You want to talk about Hunter and Joe? You want to talk about Jack Smith and this maniacal indictment? Uh, criminalizing essentially free speech of Donald Trump. And oh, by the way, before you do, here's Kurt Schlichter's opinion. I actually invited Kurt onto the program this morning. Um, and he's uh, in uh, in the air. He's uh, he's on a flight today, so he couldn't be here this morning. But he did tweet what I think is uh, exceed, I- extremely important here. I think it's very, very clear. It cuts through. Let me read his tweet to you quick, and then I'll go to your calls. No matter how bad you think this disgraceful, bogus indictment is, it's worse. It's 45 pages of First Amendment-protected activity broken up by four captions listing conspiracy statutes that do not apply. It's not a conspiracy to use free speech and attempt to participate in the political system, no matter how badly our garbage elite wants it to be. That's, that's not even mentioning that. The conduct alleged is conduct the Democrats have participated in within recent years. If it wasn't such a serious attack on our country, I would be laughing. But it's not funny. If you have any faith in our institutions right now, you're sap. This Obama judge will deny the inevitable motion to dismiss. It should be dead on arrival at the Court of Appeals, but I have no faith in the D.C. panels. It's dead on arrival at the Supreme Court once it finally gets there. Jack Smith's unbroken track record of misconduct and failure will continue. It's really hard to express how bad this is. Anybody who tells you differently is lying to you or doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And I have heard enough lawyers over the last 12 hours or so uh, essentially saying the same thing that I absolutely believe it. I won't play a lawyer on the radio, but I will listen to lawyers, especially left-wing lawyers. When the left-wingers who hate Donald Trump and who love Jack Smith, Merrick Garland, Christopher Wray, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, when left-wingers tell you how incredibly weak this case is and how pathetic this this uh, prosecution slash persecution is, that tells me a lot. Left-wingers who actually believe in the law. Let's go to the phones. Uh, John is calling us from Chardon. John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, good morning, sir. Fire away. Good morning, Bob. I didn't hear Jack Smith in his recent statement on a situation that exists in, to this day where we have people incarcerated in D.C. for over two and a half years now with no due, due legal process in sight to pass, uh, pass on it one way or another regarding their freedom. I think you know what I mean there, huh? Oh, I do. Of course I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Is that it? Was that it, John? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I thought yeah. you were going somewhere with that, or you had another point you wanted to make. Okay, I'll let you go. Thank you for the call. No, Jack Smith, no one cares about the justice system. No one cares on the left about uh, these political prisoners who you're exactly right. Now, again, I on January 7th, 
I was on the radio talking about uh, how anybody that committed violence in that riot at the uh, Capitol building, and it was, it was a riot. I still think it was a riot incited by a bunch of federal agents who intended to do that for all of the reasons we are watching play out right now. I think it's very telling that the chief of the Capitol Police, who was there that day coordinating the security, said that in an interview with with Tucker Carlson, that Tucker was not able to air before they fired him, probably because he was going to air that. But the chief of the Capitol Police said that there were federal agents all interspersed throughout that crowd that day. And we know some of them were indeed inciting the people who were there to, quote, peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard, uh, to doing something a little bit more. Let's get in there. That's the chief of the Capitol Police, for crying out loud. I can't wait for Tucker to release that that interview. But he quoted him directly, even by name as well. I don't have his name memorized. My point being, I said on January 7th, anybody who committed violent acts there, whether encouraged by somebody else to do it or not, should be held accountable. But they should be held accountable in proportion with the crime, in proportion with the law, and they should have their due process rights uh, um, upheld. They should get a right to a speedy trial. They should have the right to confront their accusers. They should not have to sit while the FBI spends a year, a year and a half, two years, now two and a half years looking for new things to charge them with. It is, and then in the gulag-style conditions they are being held. That's not right. Now, that's even for the individuals that I think should be punished and have been for the last two and a half years. But the ones who did not commit any crimes other than trespassing, which may not have even been trespassing if they were following what they thought were lawful orders by police officers who held the doors open for them. If you come to a traffic light and it's red, and there's a police officer who has got his car parked in the intersection, and he's out there with a whistle, and he's waving people through because perhaps there's a construction situation, or perhaps there's a, a malfunction with the lights, and so he's guiding traffic. If you are at an intersection and there's a red light, but a police officer blows his whistle, looks at you and points and says, come on, let's go, move. We're moving this direction now. When you go through that red light, you do not think you're breaking the law, do you? You can't have somebody on the other side of the intersection, another police officer, now trying to cite you for running a red light. You thought you were doing what the officer told you you could do and should do. So when you're at the Capitol building and all of this is going on on one side and on the other side, officers are holding the door open and letting people stream through one after the other, telling them, please be careful, don't touch anything. You think you're, you don't think you're trespassing. You think, oh, it's cool. I'm allowed to go into the quote unquote people's house, right? Those individuals also being held and charged two years later with trespassing and obstructing an official proceeding and any other crap they can throw at them. That's an entirely different story. Where's Jack? Your point, John and Chardon, is well taken. Where's Jack Smith? Where's Merrick Garland? Where is everyone so concerned about the rule of law on that day when it comes to those individuals? So I appreciate your point. Uh, let's go to Todd in South Euclid. Todd on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, Todd. Yeah, you're sounding like Mark Levin. You're screeching. It's very annoying. But did you read the indictment? I happen to love Mark Levin, so I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. you take it any way you want, Bob. Yeah. Uh, have you read the indictment? 
I have skimmed the indictment. I haven't read all 45 pages, no. Okay, but this indictment specifically says that Trump had the right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election. What he didn't have the right to do is to try to get fake electors to obstruct the peaceful transition of the presidency from himself to Joe Biden. It is similar to someone saying, I don't like our U.S. currency. But when you print your own currency, you do violate the counterfeit laws. And all this is about what Trump did, not what he said. And why can't you understand that? Why can't you understand that all Donald Trump did was the same thing that Hillary Clinton did in 2016? The what, same thing electors? that John Kerry, the same thing that John Kerry did in 2004 slash five, and the same thing that Al Gore did in 2000 2001 uh, when, they, when they when they when they. When they, when they, hold on, when they tried to, to non-certify and not, uh, not accept the votes of the certified electors because they disagreed with what those electors were deciding. They and literally they wanted to discount they, those electors, which would mean replacing them. This is not a new development, Todd. But they weren't successful and neither was Donald. And neither was Trump. And know what they weren't? They weren't indicted for it. Only Trump was. Do you understand how insane your argument is when you break it down and look at exactly what happened in the last three Democrat losses for the White House? They tried to non or decertify the electors and say they should not be allowed. But Donald they didn't Trump, do it on January 6th. Always this whataboutism. Well, it's not whataboutism. It's called precedent. Learn something about the law. It's this precedent. This is unprecedented. I'm no, not it's a not. Liar. And you're not you're a calling, lawyer. You're calling it what about, but you know who our lawyers, Todd? The people that, that are analyzing these things uh, for the news and for the media, the lawyers, including many left-wing Democrat lawyers. Only, first of all, Jonathan Turley is no longer left-wing. Alan Dershowitz is no longer left-wing. They absolutely and, are. Alan Dershowitz, two years ago, wrote a book condemning and, and, and celebrating the, quote, case against Trump. He did not want Trump. If he's not a left-winger, why did he vote twice against Donald Trump, voted for Hillary, voted for Joe Biden, then wrote a book about all the reasons why? You're telling me he's not a left-winger? You don't like the fact that these left-wingers, who are who are also um, uh, uh, supportive of the law, are actually actually interpreting the law as it is. You don't about, like the fact that they're not about, bastardizing the law the way the Attorney General Merrick Garland is. Todd? How about George Conway? He's a conservative attorney, and he thinks this is a, a, a very sound George, George George Conway has literally made the last six years of his life uh, made himself a part of the witch hunt. He was a part of the Russian collusion scandal, too. What, you kidding me? You think he's an objective? You think George Conway is an objective observer here who said, yeah, I think that on a legal basis this uh, this indictment is sound? That's the guy you're going to point to? Todd, you're embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself. I appreciate your call. I appreciate your call. I got to get to the break. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Josh Hammer about all of this coming up after the bottom. That's an embarrassment. You pointed to George Conway, and you ignore the fact that Democrat senators and House members voted to decertify electors that they did not like from key states because their candidate lost 
when it was Hillary, when it was Kerry, and when it was Gore. They all did the same thing Donald Trump tried to do, and it didn't work. Only one of them was indicted, and you're telling me it's not a political, partisan prosecution. Get the living hell out of here with that crap. I'll be back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1035. Thanks for being with us. What a day, what a day, what a day. Still trying to uh, focus attention on the special election coming up next Tuesday. We're six days away, obviously, from that. We'll talk more about that later. Still trying to react to yesterday's indictment news and also pay attention to what they wanted us to move away from which is the Devin Archer bombshell, the A-bomb that was dropped on the first family of crime on Monday. No one remembers it now. They did exactly what they were trying to do. They wiped off of the front page and erased from the broadcast, network broadcasts and uh, cable broadcasts, anything having to do with the Biden family corruption. It's all about the indictment of Donald Trump on January 6th now. So give them credit. They're good at what they do. Uh, that uh, That's not a compliment, but it is a recognition of, uh, of how good they are at... Uh, uh, at uh, media manipulation, we'll call it that. Joining us now is Josh Hammer, Newsweek senior editor at large and the host of the Josh Hammer Show. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for the time. How are you? Bob, I'm doing well. The Republic still seems to be surviving by a thread, so I guess that's worth celebrating, isn't it? It is, right? It's a thread. And uh, and I'll tell you what, every single day I feel like that thread gets just a little bit weaker and a little few more strands pull away from it. Josh, um, let's first just hit the last thing that I said as I introduced you. Three times now, three times massive news about the Bidens and the first family of crime happen. The very next day we get an indictment or an announcement of an indictment uh, that is coming. They did it. Uh, when the uh, when the laptop, when the uh, uh, Hunter Biden actually admitted that the laptop was his, we can't have that in the news. So immediately uh, they announce uh, and tell Trump, you're about to be indicted. That was March 17th, March 18th. Then June 8th, the FBI uh, 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 document, the uh, FD 1023 is revealed, revealing corruption and bribery between Ukraine and the Bidens. June 9th, Mar-a-Lago indictment is announced. Now, Devin Archer testifies with the, uh, what I'm calling an, Arch- an A-bomb, Archer bomb, on July 31st, and the next day, Trump uh, Trump gets indicted on January 6th. Is this as obvious as it seems to be choreographed to make sure that the Biden stories get buried? Yes. Uh, The answer from my perspective is an unambiguous yes to to that particular question. Look, to your credit, Bob, I agree with you. We have to give credit where credit is due. They, They are very good at what they do. They are very good at fully collapsing any sort of putative distinction between the legal and the political. They are very good at just combining the two when it comes to everything from the actual Biden campaign itself, this basement campaign, to the Department of Justice. And, you know, it's worth pointing out, I think, that this is one thing that the last Republican administration, the Trump administration, was actually not always that good at. If you think about the, uh, you know, what we're talking a lot of this week, obviously, after this indictment about January 6th, But when you think about what happened after the 2020 election, you know, uh, if a Democrat had been in charge at that time and a Democrat had been president and had actually been able to oversee his DOJ, DHS and so forth, I don't think for a second 
that that Democrat would have come up anywhere near as short as President Trump came up in 2020, as far as just literally giving marching orders to his DOJ, his DHS, to find the fraud and all that stuff. So put another way, when Democrats are in charge, when, when they wield power, they operationalize, and yes, to use the word of the day, they do weaponize their DOJ, their law enforcement apparatus to secure their ends in a way that I think Republicans have proven themselves, unfortunately, fundamentally incapable of doing, unless that changes. There's always a glimmer of hope, of course. Josh Hammer is my guest. He's a senior editor-at-large at at, uh, Newsweek. He's also the host of The Josh Hammer Show. Um, I I, I made a... An analogy uh, in my first hour this morning, Josh, uh, to the Maverick movie, the uh, Top Gun Maverick movie. Did you see it? You know, I actually didn't, but I heard a lot about it. Okay. There's a scene in which uh, uh, Tom Cruise has them all out there uh, uh, playing a a touch football or tackle football, whatever, on the beach uh, with two balls. They were constantly on offense and defense at the same time, kind of akin to, you know, fight, you know, dog fighting and, 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 and this sort of thing. You have to be aggressive and you also have to defend at the same time. So I, I made the comparison. That's what the position that the Republicans are in right now, especially the Republicans and the investigative committees in Congress. They have to say they're all on the offense against the Biden uh, first family of crime, the Bidens, all of the corruption, everything we know from, you know, Romania to Russia to Kazakhstan to, you know, to Ukraine and, and China. They're all over this. They got they got uh, Devin Archer's testimony. This is all, and now they got to spend all of this time defending Donald Trump because he's the very uh, the the face of the party right now. He is by far and away 30, 40 points ahead in all of the polling. He's going to be their candidate. So their efforts to prosecute and push and investigate and hold accountable the Biden crime family all the way through its DOJ and the FBI and so forth, um, it's being marred because they got to find a way to to continue to press that while now playing full-on defensive Donald Trump mode, that's an almost impossible task. Yeah, I mean, what the heck are you supposed to do if you're one of the other candidates, right? If you're, if you're Ron DeSantis, Vivek, if you're Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, any of them, I mean, how, how, how on earth are you supposed to play this? I mean, it's almost as if, and I'm being very cheeky here, you know, it's almost as if the, the Biden administration desperately wants a rematch with, with Donald Trump. I mean, it's almost as if they want a rematch against the guy that they defeated the last time around. I mean, who in the right mind could have possibly foreseen that coming? And, you know, I was, I, I was tweeting, Bob, right before I came on air with you, but, you know, I, I pointed this out actually almost a year ago after the Mar-a-Lago raid last August. I, 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 I'll actually I have my column up, but it's briefly quoted if that's okay. This was after the Mar-a-Lago raid last August. I literally wrote, quote, it seems that Trump's fundraising and support metrics have only increased due to his perceived martyrdom, thus bolstering his prospects in his likely impending 2024 Republican presidential primary. Since this was so easily foreseeable, it seems likely that this was a factor in Merrick Garland's decision to approve the raid. The Biden regime seems to think that since it defeated Trump in 2020, it can do so again in 2024. So I wrote that last August, and I, I only feel more confident in those convictions now. And you're totally right. I mean, Trump's primary challengers are, are in something of a lose-lose scenario right now. I, I genuinely do not know what is the best way to play this. It is a sham indictment. I mean, this one is garbage. It is pure garbage. I have been reading it. It is it is stunningly bad from an actual kind of rule of law prosecutorial perspective. The classified documents indictment that Jack Smith whipped out, by the way, I thought was comparatively a lot more rigorous. Um, it definitely had its flaws, but it was actually a very well thought out theory of the case in minimum. That is simply not the case here. So. It, it, it's a tough Let, let's, situation let's to explore be that. Let's explore that part, Josh. We're talking to Josh Hammer of Newsweek and the Josh Hammer Show. I, I don't disagree 
That one is stronger than this one, but this one is nothing. This one is this is literally criminalizing uh, free speech. Donald Trump is allowed to say that I think I was robbed. That he is allowed to challenge the electors. He's allowed to do these things. Whether uh, he was right or not is irrelevant. He thought he was right, and he, we would have to prove what was in his mind that he was intentionally uh, using disinformation, excuse me, in order to to obstruct uh, proceedings. But even disinformation is free speech, quite frankly. So this is this is ridiculous. But go, let's go back to Mar-a-Lago. Let's go back to the to the charge on the on the classified document. I would agree with you that it is stronger, but it, the comparison here should be with other cases of classified documentation, and never has anybody been prosecuted and indicted in such a way. We all heard James Comey for 20 minutes list all of the lies that Hillary Clinton told about the classified status of all of those documents that she kept on an unsecured server that he said was likely hacked and, and, and um, accessed by foreign bad actors, but at the end, we shouldn't prosecute. Um, so that, to me, is the comparison here that's more. What makes it so egregious is they are trying to lock up a guy for things that other people have done, and this guy happens to be the number one challenger to the current president of the United States to remove him from office. Right. No, I, I look, I, I agree with all that. And, you know, let's not forget that back in the summer of 2016, when then-FBI Director James Comey first announced that he was not going to pursue the Hillary Clinton 30,000-plus email scandal on her private, highly insecure server, you know, let's not forget that James Comey literally made up a, a legal standard. He fabricated it out of thin air. He referred to Hillary Clinton's conduct as, quote, extremely careless, which, you know, the last time I thumbed through my criminal law casebook for my first year of law school is not an actual legal standard. I mean, you know, it's not gross negligence. He literally just made it up. So, look, basically everything that Republicans say about the two-tier system of justice is emphatically true. I, I have been sounding this alarm for, for years and years now, and it's, it's sad. I mean, it's sad for folks like me. I clerked on a federal court of appeals. I, I want to believe in the criminal justice system. I want to believe in the rule of law in America. But there's just way, way too many data points at this point. The Hunter Biden, the Joe Biden stuff, obviously shining a massive spotlight on this discrepancy. So there's way too much evidence that has accumulated for anyone worth his or her salt to kind of go on TV or radio and to say, oh, I firmly believe in the No, there's no reason for believing it. So I totally agree with all that. The only reason that I say that the indictment was better thought out in that case, first of all, they weren't taking a, a, a truly kind of Orwellian chilling view of suppressing free speech, the likes of which this current indictment does. And that really is what this current indictment does. The, the classified documents indictment had some very troubling anecdotes, you know, about, about kind of deleting footage and moving documents and, and, and obstruction and stuff like that. There was that one thing where Trump was allegedly at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. He was talking to some reporter showing Iran war plans or something like that. I mean, again, this is all allegations. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the former, pre- former president is presumed innocent until proven guilty. But this is pretty damning stuff, at least as far as. Uh, allegations go if, if they can actually prove it. And there was a whole legal debate at that time as to whether or not the Espionage Act, which is kind of this dusty World War One era statute, was even proper to whip out. I was of the opinion that that was uh, that was dubious that a, a normal prosecution would not be using this level of statute. And then maybe the president was protected under the Presidential Records Act. That's kind of in the weed stuff. So look, it clearly had its 
But it, it, it definitely was less bad than the current indictment, that's for sure. Yeah, but, but all of those things that you just pointed out should have been ferreted out in the weeds, not in a court of law, not under an indictment. They can figure out what the Presidential Records Act says and what he was allowed to yep. do and what he wasn't and so forth without indicting. Again, especially in an election year, uh, in, in you know the primary season starting and so forth, in which he is the uh, lead uh, challenger to the current president. It just smacks of, of a banana republic. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is if it had stood alone, it might be a little bit more defensible. It might be a little bit more, uh, you know, for the president to have to answer to. But the fact that it was bookended by uh, the ridiculous charges in Manhattan by overstuffed Alvin bootstrapping one statue to another to find a way to indict him in that ridiculous case there. Now this ridiculous case here, you know, it, it, now it just all looks like what it is, which is an attempt uh, to smear this guy and make him literally unelectable. If he is the nominee, it makes him unelectable among moderate, uh, uh, you know, and reasonable uh, uh, independent voters. And, of course, if not, then, you know, they remove him from uh, from the primaries altogether. So when you add all of those things up in total, that's what makes this so egregious. Um, Josh, let me go back to what you were just saying about the other candidates, because I feel very badly, quite frankly, for Ron DeSantis, for Tim Scott, Vivek, everybody that's got to speak on this. They have to be very, very careful. You tweeted uh, before we came on the air, quote, it has never been more astoundingly obvious that the corrupt Biden regime wants Donald Trump to be the 2024 GOP presidential nominee. And you're right. Um because he gets massive bumps in support from people who are just so livid at how outrageous this is that he's, you know, we're going to support Trump just, Trump just to spite, uh, you know, the Biden administration and Jack Smith. The other candidates, what do they do? They either join that because that's the right thing to do and it hurts them in their campaigns by promoting the front runner or they don't join that and then they're called traitors and how dare you you think more uh you know about your candidacy than in the campaign than you do about the country and the rule of law so how the hell do they navigate these waters yeah it's really a damned if you do damned if you don't sort of situation right i'm look here is one possible way to approach this and you know, realistically speaking here, we're talking about Ron DeSantis because he, despite his recent troubles, he probably is kind of the only other candidate who has the infrastructure, the campaign, the gravitas and all that to ultimately possibly take down Trump. So we're, we're really mostly talking here about DeSantis. So, here, so here's one possible way to say it. The possible way to say it is you you have to condemn this this prosecution. You have to. I mean, anyone who cares about the rule of law in America has to, for the very simple reason that the prosecution and the indictment is utter garbage. But the point that I think you can try to make is you can say, you know, Donald Trump had four years to gut the deep state. He had four years to reform the DOJ. He had four years to reform the FBI, the CIA, all the intelligence community apparatuses that were trying to undermine him every which way, from the Russia collusion delusion to the you know, nonsensical Ukraine impeachment, the phone call with Zelensky. He had four years. He had four years to do all of this. And he proved himself, unfortunately, incapable of following through when it came to a, a, hires and fires. It's kind of ironic, right, that the guy who became famous, at least in part, by saying you're fired on television proved somewhat incapable of actually firing people in the bowels of the intelligence community in the deep state when he was in power. And then you have to say, by contrast, I have done X, Y, Z. I will be ruthlessly mission-oriented. I am forward-looking. I will do this. So I think the argument, Bob, has to be, I agree that this is nonsense, but if you want vindication for the former president, somewhat ironically, you can't actually go with the former president. You have to kind of pass the torch to me, and I will vindicate the former president in a way that he himself cannot vindicate himself. It's admittedly a 
difficult needle to thread. I'm not pretending like it's not difficult, but I think that's probably the only way to go here. That's uh, that's that's well said. <clears throat> you do have to thread a needle there, and it's not easy to do. Uh, and I don't know if anybody's capable of doing that to the satisfaction of the voters that you're going to have to try to win over. Um, do you think that the um, uh, all of the other GOP rivals should be forced to answer the question whether or not they will pardon him if they become president? I think that's fair game at a debate stage. I mean, you know, we're, we have this first debate coming up in three weeks in, in Milwaukee. I mean, I think that's eminently fair game. Look, personally, um, you know, as a conservative, as a, a pundit, commentator, columnist, whatnot, I mean, I am personally focused on the issues. I mean, I, I think that America has so many glaring problems right now, economically, culturally, on the world stage, every which way. And I, I think that a question like that, frankly, would be somewhat of a, at least somewhat of a waste of time. I, I, it's somewhat of a distraction. I mean, all these debates and whatnot are zero-sum games. You can only ask so many questions. But sure, I, I have no objection. And I think that the answer should be yes. I think that the answer should be yes. I, 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 I have said that for a while now. I, if I'm not mistaken, I I think Ron DeSantis has said that he would pardon Donald Trump, right? If, if, he, if he's president, I, I could be well, wrong. Well, the that, way but. he worded it, Josh, was something to the effect of it would not be good for the country to send an 80 year old man to prison or for something like this. So he didn't come out and say, and the reason I asked if you thought it was appropriate to make them answer this question, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, is the only one who's come out and said in no uncertain terms, I will absolutely pardon him. This, we know what's going to come out of this, these, these trials. There's going to be evidence presented, and, and if somebody is forced to say absolutely no matter what the evidence shows, I am going to pardon the former president once I am president, I just think it puts them in a very, very dangerous position because we don't have any, have any idea. I mean, we do have some idea by way of the indictments, but we don't know how these trials are going to play out and find out things that maybe we didn't know before that, quite frankly, might be unpardonable. And I just think it's really a rough thing to ask them. It, it, it is. Look, I mean, and these candidates presumably are running because they care. I mean, maybe call me naive if you want to, but obviously some level of ego is required to seek the most important position in America. But beyond kind of the, the ego that's attached to anyone running for president, presumably these people care at some level about the country, the issues, the Constitution, the rule of law, all of those things. And, you know, asking them just incessantly to comment on a rival it's just, it's draining. I mean, it really is draining. I mean, you know, I, I saw my friend Dan Coulter. It was, her, it was Anne's column. I try to read her column every week. I think it was Anne's column like a week or two ago where she was like, you know, the new actual Republican pledge shouldn't be to necessarily to support the eventual nominee, although I have no objection to that myself. But what Anne said the pledge should be is we will vow to stop talking about Trump and we will just talk about the issues. So, like, I, yeah, there's some, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, and it's obviously a lot of speculation, to your point. I mean, we, we, you know, the trials have not happened. Who knows what will come up at trial? So it's a bit of an unfair question. But, you know, one possible way to answer that, if you're asked that question on debate stage, is to say, you know, based on what I have seen thus far, these are politically driven prosecutions. It would be terrible for the country for someone like former President Trump to go to jail, and I plan to pardon him based on what I know right now. Right? I mean, that's, that's one way to answer the question, I think. Yeah, that, that, that's very well said. We're talking to Josh Hammer, senior editor-at-large for Newsweek and host of the Josh Hammer Show. Last question for you. They, they were successful in getting us to stop talking about Devin Archer's testimony because now we have to deal with all of this. But let's go back. If I didn't have this yesterday, I would have had you come on to get your analysis of what happened with Archer's testimony. Um, it proves Joe Biden's a liar. 20-some times, at minimum, uh, Trump, I mean, uh, Biden either got on the phone with or was in person at dinners with some of Hunter Biden's business associates overseas from at least four or five different countries. Um, where does this go from here in your mind, Josh? 
Well, it's kind of interesting because it's been hard to to disentangle sometimes what's happening from a DOJ prosecuting or investigating Hunter perspective versus kind of the House Republican political investigations. You know, so we had David Weiss, who was the Trump holdover, the prosecutor in Delaware, reached this plea deal with with Hunter Biden. The plea deal gets thrown out. So we're kind of we're in the middle now of these of these 30 days that the judge in that case, Judge Norica, gave Hunter Biden's defense team and the prosecutors to reach a revised plea deal. So we'll see what that looks like. One of the things that kind of tripped up the lawyers at that hearing a week, week and a half ago or so, was they actually disagreed over multiple things, but they disagreed over whether that plea deal could foreclose, could preclude the possibility of additional prosecutions over FARA, Foreign Agent Registration Act, and kind of just foreign dealings in general. So yeah, especially given the context of the of the Devin Archer testimony to Congress earlier this week, that's where I personally want to see more of this go from here, whether it comes from the DOJ side or whether it comes from the uh, James Comer-led House Oversight Committee side, is a, a shiny, very, very direct spotlight on which deals were happening at what time, who was on the phone, how much money was exchanged, when did he know it, where did he do it, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, if all of that comes up short, if the subpoena power, the investigative power, and DOJ does not properly prosecute from a you know pro rule of law perspective, then yeah, at some point, I think articles of impeachment are are wholly suitable and possibly even necessary. Josh Hammer breaking it down for us. Terrific job. Keep up the great work. I want everybody to follow you on Twitter. Uh, it's a great follow. Josh underscore Hammer, just like it sounds. Josh underscore Hammer, uh, and check out the Josh Hammer show as well. Josh, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go. That's uh, Josh Hammer. It's ten fifty six. We'll get a timeout now. Top of the hour news is coming up. Then we'll be open for more phone calls. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Right here on Always Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. 9 minutes after 11 o'clock. It means hour number 3 is underway. It's my second to last live show this week. We'll be back on the air tomorrow live. And then we've got some things happening. That's why it's so important for me to get as much of the promotion of 
yes on issue one as I can possibly do in every day that I'm still on the air because I will not be a lot be uh, uh, on live on election day Tuesday or Monday tomorrow a uh, little note for you here tomorrow we're gonna or, I beg your pardon tomorrow I'm live Friday Dakota Sawyer and George Satari and the Steve Krause, the team from Monday Night Roundtable, going to be hosting for me on this uh, program on Friday. And I'm very much uh, uh, eager for you to hear them. They do a phenomenal job on Monday nights. If you haven't heard them, they're going to fill in for me on Friday. I'm sure they're going to be talking a ton about Issue 1 and everything else related to Ohio, news, politics, and more. On Monday... Khalid Namar, who also hosts a show here on this uh, uh, this uh, station on Sunday nights now. Khalid Namar, he's a regular fill-in for you anyway, uh, for me, I should say. He'll be on on Monday. And then Tuesday, it's normally Peter Kersenow interview day on Tuesday. This coming Tuesday, it's Peter Kersenow hosting day. That's election day. So I know that he is going to be... Uh, uh, a great treat for you as well. So we've got three great guest hosts coming up. I'll be live for the reaction to what happens on Tuesday, Election Day, on Wednesday. So we're live today, live tomorrow, and then uh, we've got some great guest hosts coming up, and then I'll be back on Wednesday as uh, um, we uh, we try to look back on what I hope will be as I return uh, to a tremendous victory in, issue, in the uh, special election on August 8th, issue number one. So it's a big deal. Uh, this hour is wide open for you now. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We have a lot of things that we can still talk, still talk about. There are some points that have been made by some people on issue one that you may not have heard, uh, and I think you should. The Cuyahoga of, of Valley Republicans, that's who hosted the event that we had on uh on Monday in Brexville, have a great fact sheet out on their webpage. And it's a little bit. It's cv-gop.com. It's not that tough, but but cv-gop.com. Things you should know about issue, about issue one. There's some important things that uh, you should read to kind of counter the lies and the narrative of the... Uh, of the uh, no one issue one, uh, you know, radicals, and they are they're radicals. They want to they want to change Ohio's constitution forevermore with a simple fifty percent, um, you know, majority, which is not really a majority. It's fifty percent plus one person. It's just it's just silly. It's just, and the reality is that almost every one of the groups that are proposing that fifty percent plus one should be enough to amend a bedrock foundational document, they don't allow fifty percent to change the. <laughs> constitutions and bylaws of their own organizations where they require a minimum of 60 percent some of them are two-thirds majority of 66 percent some more than that but when it comes to the Ohio constitution they want to give it away with well, hey, if half the state says yes and half the sta- state says no we'll let one person decide were you kidding you're going to change our document for all ohioans you better have a strong majority of ohioans saying yes that's okay so there's a great piece there and there's also one from the buckeye institute if you know anything about the Buckeye Institute, because the left, when I posted this and shared their uh, uh, their yes on issue one to fend off what they call the Californication of of Ohio, um, people have said, "Who are the Buckeye Institute? Nobody knows who the Buckeye Institute is. How is this a flex that they are in support of issue one?" Well, they're an independent institution, a think tank basically that is nonpartisan. That has a mission of of advancing free market public policy in the states. Um, Quoting from their page, 
The staff at Buckeye accomplished the organization's mission by performing timely and reliable research on key issues, compiling and synthesizing data, formulating sound free market policies, and promoting those institution or solutions rather for implementation in Ohio and replication across the country. Nonpartisan. It's not some conservative group. Nonprofit, tax exempt organization. Um, and they have analyzed this six ways from Sunday and come up with a very strong statement. Vote yes on issue one to fend off the Californication of Ohio. And I feel like I want to share some of this with you again because I won't be able to help push this across the finish line on Monday and Tuesday. So I need to give you some of this now. On August 8th, Ohioans go to the polls to vote on issue one, which is an amendment to our state constitution that would raise the threshold for passing future amendments from the current 50% plus one to 60% of voters. You read that correctly. It's an amendment to protect against future constitutional amendments. Ohioans are duly confused. That's sad but true, by the way. They're confused by that fact, and they're confused by the fact that there's another election coming up in November that will be impacted by this election here in August. Buckeye Institute continues. Ohioans are duly confused about what is at stake. It is understandably difficult to sort through disingenuous messages from those making the case for and against issue one for their own pretextual political reasons. Disregard all of that noise and think for yourself about why almost everyone is trying to get you to vote no. My organization, writes the Buckeye Institute, Robert Alt, uh, speaking for them, my organization has been bombarded with questions from well-meaning Ohioans seeking an impartial and credible explanation for which way they ought to vote. That's, I can't overstate that. Impartial, nonpartisan organization. We have been reluctant to weigh in publicly because in the first place there should not be August elections on special issues. Ordinary folks are wrapping up summer vacations, getting their kids' school supplies in order, and often remain oblivious to important elections taking place. But our principled and long-held objection on that count is now irrelevant, and we are mere days away from this consequential special election. Add to existing confusion about Issue 1 countless misleading ads and misinformation distributed by special interest groups on both sides, and what is a thoughtful person, uh, thoughtful yet busy person to do? I suggest voting yes. Okay, let me pause there. I will disagree slightly with Robert Alt and his organization, Issue 1, or excuse me, Buckeye Institute, I should say, on the matter of Issue 1. Uh, about misleading ads on both sides. I, I'm watching them. I'm listening to them. I'm sharing them. I'm posting them. Sometimes I'm playing them on the air. I haven't heard anything that is not 100% accurate coming from the yes on issue one side. We're pointing out the need to protect the Constitution from big dollar, you know, big moneyed outside interests that are trying to advance a massive radical social agenda across the country, not just in Ohio. This is only the one we're concerned about. They are doing this in many other states as well. I'm not willing to sell out the Ohio Constitution to these special interest groups, these radical extremist groups, backed by you know, the Black Lives Matter organization, the League of Women Voters, the uh, uh, Constant Revolutionary Communist Party of USA, the Democratic Socialist. I'm not w- wanna, you know, willing to sell this out. And I don't think that pointing out that these things are happening is disinformation on our side. But still, going back to the Buckeye Institute's yes on issue one argument.
Constitutions are subject to amendment, as you recall from history class, but those changes to our fundamental documents must be few and far between, made only slowly and deliberately over time, which is why the U.S. Constitution requires a significant supermajority of states, 75%, to ratify amendments. We do not want to make willy-nilly updates. California, writes the Buckeye Institute, has a laughably easy-to-amend state constitution that serves as a warning. California's constitution has been amended more than 500 times since it was written. We should not Californicate Ohio's constitution. Peruse the United States constitution for yourself. The language is what you would expect to find. Quote, Congress shall make no laws abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. These are the principles of constitutional significance, ones that ensure that a majority does not abuse its power at the expense of everyone else's fundamental rights. Now, likewise, go see for yourself by comparison our Ohio Constitution. There you will find the definition of what constitutes a table game. The tax parcel identification numbers of every casino in the state. That absurd minutia has no business being in our Constitution. But it has become the business of special interests to amend our Constitution as frequently as they can. And both political sides are guilty. Recent attempts include the effort to grant marijuana growing monopolies into our state's foundational document. We should not let those one-off campaigns continue to do so. With a simple majority of 50% plus one voter being able to make amendments, Ohio's Constitution will become an increasingly silly document and risks exchanging the rule of law for the rule of special interests. Supermajority requirements ensure that people who are out of favor with the ruling class have protections from the whims of that majority. Supporting issue one is responsible, common sense, and unfortunately, unpopular. It is unsurprising that special interests on both sides are opposed to issue one and doing everything they can to get you to vote no. Defy them. Face it, you and I and ordinary Ohioans are not going to be the ones amending Ohio's constitutions in the future, Constitution in the future anyway. We do not have the time or the money or the wherewithal. It will be well-funded, organized, and single-issue partisan groups with axes to grind. We should make it harder for them to meddle in our state's Constitution, force them to pass their laws through the usual democratic process. Vote yes on issue one to require a 60% supermajority, and that's not even super, by the way. I would take issue with that word. It's just a majority. Would require a 60% majority in order to fend off the Californication of Ohio and keep our state's constitution as a durable, foundational document. Tell your friends, family, and neighbors, voting yes on August 8th will align Ohio's constitutional amendment process with the wise supermajority requirements enshrined in our beloved U.S. Constitution and simultaneously ensure that Ohio does not become beholden to special interests on either side. That's big to me. I've given you the yes on Ohio, or excuse me, uh, Vote Yes Ohio platform. I've given you uh, the, the one or two articles from the Cleveland Plain Dealer editorial board written by Ted Dieden about reasons why you should vote yes for issue one. But you know what? These people and organizations are all very, well, not all, but most of them are very, very um, willingly and admittedly partisan. The Buckeye Institute is not partisan. 
And in fact, they called out both sides for a variety of things, as you just heard. And when that organization, which is specifically researching public policy, um, says vote yes on issue one, I think that should carry some weight with, with anybody who's undecided. Chances are, if you're listening to this show and if you listen to it on a fairly regular basis, you're probably with me already. I knew on Monday when we were uh, when we were firing up the crowd of 270, 280, 300 people or whatever it was in Brexville, I knew I was preaching to a choir that was already singing. But what we told people that night, uh, when I say we again, Frank LaRose, Bernie Marino, Jane Timken, Jim Trakis, um, um, who else, uh, uh, Dom Sharia, from uh, Cuyahoga Valley Republicans. What we told everybody there is, we know you're already in the choir. Go get more members. If every single person who is already in this choir listening to this show and has already voted maybe early, which I want you to do, for issue one, you did your job good, go find five more. If every one of us finds five more people, share this information with them. Share the, the, the uh, VoteYesOhio.com webpage. Share with them the arguments made by uh, so many very prominent people um, from various walks of life and all who have Ohio's best interests at heart rather than selling out Ohio's best, best interest to special interest groups who can specifically target 44 hand-picked, cherry-picked counties to get signatures from, forgetting about the rural counties and what their point of view is. You know how big that part of this whole thing is, by the way? You know how big that is? The fact that so much power is reserved for the densely populated people in Cuyahoga, Franklin, Lucas, uh, Hamilton, you know, counties. And the people in the rural counties are just completely ignored. Anybody going to get... uh, Anybody going to get uh, signatures, putting petitions out in, in all of those smaller counties? No, they don't care what those people think. But they're affected by any um, amendments that might be made to our Constitution. Shouldn't they have to go out there and get a simple 5%? We're not even talking about a big We're at 5%. 95% of the voters in every one of those counties can say, nope, no dice, don't want it on the ballot. You just need 5%. That's not asking very much. And it gives them a say, at least a small say and whether or not our Constitution is sliced and diced for personal gain by special interest groups looking to radicalize Ohio and fundamentally transform, by way of state-by-state policies, the entire country. Give them a small say. 88 counties should be included in any constitutional amendment, and 60% is a minimum number. It's not taking away democracy. It's not taking away one person's right to one vote or any of the other nonsense that they throw at you. It's just common sensible. Um, it's a common sensible issue and amendment uh, this uh, coming Tuesday. All right, 216 If you have questions, by the way, do that. Let's do that for the remaining time on our show today. If you are targeting your five people, and maybe there are some who just aren't sure, and you're not sure how to answer their objection, call me right now. I'll do my level best to give you an answer to their objection. I'll give you what you need to convince somebody that's a little bit on the edge, or maybe somebody that you is already on the other side. They're saying they're voting no on Tuesday, but you have a way to flip them. You just need an answer to this question or that question. Call me. I'll give it to you. I'll, because I'll tell you what, I don't know everything. But I've listened to a lot of people who pretty much do. 
and I've processed it, and I'm willing to talk on it, and I'll speak on it, and I'll take on Allison Roos or anybody else on this issue. You got a question you want to ask? Call me now. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. We'll help convince the others in your life who don't know how they're voting or if they're voting. We'll help convince them together. We'll be right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Okay, 11.35. Final segment for this morning. One more opportunity to talk about the very important issue in front of us for next Tuesday, Issue 1. And uh, we'll have one more show tomorrow to do this. Then I know you're going to get a lot of great information and support for this as well coming up on Friday when Dakota and the uh, Monday Night Roundtable team takes over for me, Khalid Namar on uh, Monday, Peter Kersenow on Tuesday, Election Day. So we're going to carry this through to victory. We have to. If we really want to stop the radicalism from being embedded into our Ohio Constitution forever. And that's exactly what their goal is. Let's go to the phones. We're going to hit uh, Sally and Bria. Sally, you're on AM 1420. The answer, go right ahead. Hi, Bob. One question I often get is, I'm told that some of the earlier governors of Ohio have supported a no on issue one. And so if that's the case, why the need for change right now? And I say that it's too easy to push through amendments quickly into the Ohio Constitution. And I wonder what you can add to that. Well, it is too easy. And those other individuals, I mean, quite frankly, I don't mean to be, you know, uh, you know, throwing stones here or whatever. But uh, if John Kasich is for something, I'm almost always going to be against it. Almost always. You know, I mean, some of the Republicans we're talking about here are just flat out rhinos and maybe even trans Dems. Uh, I'm shocked to be frank. And thank you, Sally, for the call. I'm shocked. That the current governor, who I perceive to be pretty much a trans-dem, that means they're Republicans, but they are kind of transitioning to Democrats. John Kasich made his switch quite some time ago. He's a full-on trans-dem now. But anyway, um, many of these uh, you know, rhino-ish and, and straight-up rhino Republicans, uh, former governors like Kasich and, uh, and former attorney general, attorneys general and so on and so forth, I just flat out they have it wrong. They seem to think... That a simple majority should be enough to change our bedrock foundational uh, documents in the state of Ohio and that it won't be used by, uh, abused by special interest groups. And maybe during their times in office in previous years, they didn't have that much to fear. Maybe that's why we didn't do this a long time ago and push for changing it from 50% to 60%. Maybe those threats weren't there, but we're in a different time now. The radicalism on the American left, not just in Ohio, but outside of Ohio, is at a peak level never seen before. And they are trying to, since they can't win by way of the legislative process, they are trying to uh, turn every state into California, as the Buckeye Institute pointed out, making the Constitution easy to change and amend, turning, turning it into a de facto Ohio Revised Code, where they can just change it willy-nilly anytime they want to with a simple 50% uh, uh, plus one majority and a and a 44-county uh, uh, signature requirement. It's ridiculous. It's, uh, it's, it's untenable. And those former governors don't recognize the Ohio and the United States that we're in today. 
They just don't. They don't know the threat of the extremists and what links they'll go to to uh, to wreck our state and to advance social justice, DEI, uh, and, and other ridiculous woke policies that they're trying to put into the Constitution like they are going to start this November. So that's my response to them. Tony is in Parma. Hi, Tony. Fire away. Tony, um, hey, thanks for taking my call, Bob. <clears throat> Something that keeps coming up in our circles is how this... Uh, this election is going to affect November, um, which I don't see it affecting anything that happens on the November ballot at all, because it looks to me like issue one goes into effect January 1st of 2024. And I've also heard ads about the November election and why you should vote, you know, yes or no on issue one. Any thoughts on that? Nobody's ever clarified that this will not affect anything that's on the November ballot. Um, that is the first time I've ever heard anybody actually say that. Um, everyone that I've spoken to from Columbus <clears throat> and the other champions for issue one have said they will absolutely require uh, in the next election, which would be the one in November, the the sixty percent majority to take uh, to to go into effect. So well, I have not it, heard that. I have not heard that anywhere else. Where did you Where did you read or see that it will not take effect until January? Well, when you read the language, when you actually look at the amendment that we'll be voting on, it says effective January 1st, 2024. Um, The actual language of the ballot says for the constitutional amendment, if it passes, will take effect. January 21st, 2024. I will try to get clarification on that from the Secretary of State, which, of course, you know, he had to certify this uh, this amendment uh, uh, language as uh, anyway. I will try to get an answer for that part. What was the second question you had or the second part of what you said that you asked for? Well, well, that was it. It's in our circles. Everybody keeps um, talking about issue one as it uh, as it's going to affect this coming November election, which has all the abortion rights mm-hmm. and trans all that i'm not even sure what november's all about completely but one well, thing you were that, all over it you you were you were right it's it's about abortion and about transing more specifically if you want to be clear clear about it and thank you for the call in the question tony i will get an answer by by tomorrow about uh, uh how november would be affected by this but to the second part to be very clear about it it takes parents out of the equation when their kids want to do radical things to their body whether it be aborting their child or uh, mutilating themselves or starting the process of mutilating themselves with chemical castration by way of puberty blocker and cross-sex hormones. Anything having to do with reproduction, according to what the November initiative says, anything having to do with reproductive rights, any individual in Ohio gets to decide for themselves. It doesn't say any adult, 18 or over, it says any individual, which would mean kids, which means parents can't have a say in what their kids do. Guide them, counsel them, forbid them from going to uh, start a prescription of puberty blockers and all these things would have no say in it whatsoever. So it is extremely important to know that November is about a number of things. Abortion is one of them, but parents' rights to be a part of these decisions uh, is, a, is, is in play here. That's the reality. Uh, let me get um, Rose in Vermillion. Hi, Rose, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, yeah, I have two people who are saying that God is telling them not to vote. Yes. God no matter is what telling I posted, them? Yes. No are matter these people, what I posted. 
Are these people? I apologize. I'm sorry, Rose. Are these people actually religious? Do they believe in God? Because if they do, if I were you, I would be asking them. At what point did they decide that God likes murdering babies? Because issue one is going to make it much, much harder for people to murder babies inside the womb. Pretty sure God would be opposed to that, but that's just me, the God that I pray to. Go ahead, Rose. That's what I had told them. I said, God is not in the business of of, uh, killing babies. And the comeback is, you know, that it's not effective until January 1st. Well, it doesn't matter when it's effective. It still is effective at some point. And um, it's no matter what I've posted, I've posted your podcast, things with Jack, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, charts and everything. And they didn't care what the grassroots organization said. They don't care what any other politician says. They don't care what anybody said. Anybody says that they prayed and God is telling them that it's. Not to do it. <laughs> well, well, you know, and, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell anybody what they heard when they prayed. I would suspect, and Rose, thank you for the call. I would suspect they heard what they wanted to hear, whether they got an actual response or not. They interpreted what they want. In other words, they had their mind made up when they sat down and were looking for justification. And for some people, particularly if you're trying to put it on God, uh, if you already have your mind made up and you're looking for justification, you'll find it. You'll find out exactly what you wanted to find out rather than what is really being said. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks, everyone. I'll talk to the Secretary of State and get that answer for tomorrow right here on Always Right Radio. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.